0: So hi Nicola, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's a pleasure as always. And To anybody listening, um, we have Nicola Sherlock on today. Now Nicola is a consultant psychologist, um, a woman skilled in many areas, but um, currently a full-time employee of the National Health Service um but Nicola comes in and works with my clients in terms of mindset we do a lot of work around emotional eating um for me it's not just about providing somebody with a diet it's about figuring out why we're eating when we're not hungry um Nicola comes in from the sort of expertise and the things and lifts the lid um on a lot of of the psychology and the mindset and the behaviors around overeating and today we're going to talk about you know why why do we eat when we're hungry you know where, where does it come from and, and how do we fix it but before we get into the the thrust of the, the podcast I want Nicola to introduce herself and to announce her um the release, she's also released a new book so take it away Nicola.
1: Okay so Tara as you said um, um my name is Nicola Sherlock and I've worked as a, a Clinical psychologist now for over twenty years, um, and I work as a consultant a psychologist in the NHS. Um, one of my specialist areas is chronic um, pain or persistent pain. So basically, that's pain that lasts for more than about three months, um, but can can persist indefinitely. So many many people I see at work would have pain for years, you maybe twenty years, thirty years, um, and pain has a real emotional impact. Um, it can really affect people's psychological well-being. And obviously, if you have pain, um, a lot of the time people are on medication painkillers. And I think they're badly named because we know that painkillers only, at best, only relieve about 30% of pain. So if you think of a big pie chart and we've got 100%, 30% of that, at best, if your painkillers are working really well, is gone, is relieved with pain, but there's a whole lot left. And, um, I have written a book and it's called Master Your Chronic Pain. I think, um, Tara, you're going, to, you're going to be able to link this, um, which looks at other aspects of pain management. So I suppose, it, I suppose when we think about pain, it's really good to have a toolbox and to have loads of different resources in that toolbox for managing it. And one resource might be your medication. But if that's all you have, you know, there's you're missing a lot. There's a lot of other things that you can do to help manage your pain and that's really what the book is, is is about it's really really practical if you read the book you can initially start from day 1 to begin to implement some things that will help you manage your pain um i i hope it's um easy to read um it's compassionate um I've had long-term pain myself, um, which I talk a little bit about at the beginning of the book, Um, and I think that has given me a greater insight into what it's like to live with pain. So yeah, just released on the 25th of October, um, and it's available to buy from the publisher's website, Hawksmoor Publishing, and also Amazon, Waterstones, and WH Smith. So exciting times ahead. Um, So yeah, a lot of work went into it, so I'm delighted to have it out now. I'm
0: sure you are but look you know I know I can vouch for Nicola from a personal level as well because I was a patient of Nicola's a few years ago Um, I had a wrist a pretty bad wrist fracture and ended up being diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome something I'd never experienced in my life Um, severe pain but I knew a lot of it was psychological so I was referred to Nicola and when I talk about you know never been in pain in my life always been in control for the first time in your life not being in control of something and having excruciating pain where you can't eat you can't sleep it's horrendous and it actually affects, affects your mental health as well but I went to Nicola and literally within three to four days um a few sessions with Nicola I was like I had to learn how to write again I was back driving I was lifting things I was opening door handles when before I couldn't even let anybody touch my skin on my hands Um, so whatever it was I know it was all all mental (laughs) it was all mental Nicola Um, but for sure it was the turning point for me to recovery Um, and even now some of the principles that you taught me then I still use um so look folks if you can if you do suffer from pain go and buy this book this is how I was introduced to Nicola in the first place and Nicola has opened up another whole area of um knowledge for my own clients and she's not only helped me but she helps my own clients so much um in her workshop she comes in and works with my one-to-one VIP clients um and we do workshops um within their program to help them master emotionally and so um Nicola in terms of emotional eating it's just a massive massive topic you know I'm sure you could write a book alone and I know you have a section in your book on this don't you um yes. around around overeating and emotional eating and a lot of the clients especially my clients who are obese or morbidly obese and we're now and, and even kids now I've just noticed over lockdown and before we came on the, and, and started recording the podcast I was just saying to Nicola that I've just noticed that it's actually really really scary and it's very very sad that so many people are in, in such a bad way now because over lockdown it's really accelerated emotionally, you know, through loneliness, boredom, maybe other issues. Um, but children are also experiencing the same issues now and you know, it's not something really we talk about, and a lot of my, especially my obese clients, you know, they didn't get overweight eating from hunger out of hunger. They're eating from somewhere else. They're filling a void, and this is where Nicola comes in and talks and and explores different areas and really gets the clients thinking about different aspects. Um, so, you know, Nicola, you know why why is it why do we eat when we're when we're not hungry? Where is this want coming from? This need to want have to constantly eat. OK,
1: so for I suppose the first thing I'd say is, Tara, is emotionally is really, really common. So, you know, you're talking about maybe people who are obese or morbidly obese and certainly they engage in emotional eating. But I would say people who aren't overweight at all also engage in emotionally, yeah. um, emotionally It's really, really common. And I suppose it originates probably with all of us in, in childhood um, and probably just when we're very, very young. And I suppose even thinking back, I know you're a mom and I'm a mom too. When we had a baby that was crying, we weren't sure. We could see they were distressed. We knew they had their nappy was clean. We weren't sure what was wrong. Often we would we would feed them in an attempt to comfort them. And, you know, and um, my sister-in-law has recently finished breastfeeding her son. And, you know, if he was distressed or whatever at all, he would come over to her and she would feed him for a few minutes. Now, this wasn't hunger. This was comfort. This was warmth. This was attachment. This was lovely for him. But again, it's it's about establishing a relationship between food and comfort. And all of us um, experience emotional distress. No matter how and um, what our lives are like, and some of us, sometimes it's very easy to look at somebody else and think they live a very charmed life. Everybody has stresses in their life. Everybody goes through periods of ups and downs. And when we experience those stressors, it's entirely natural to want to soothe them in whatever way we ha- we can. And for a lot of people that don't, you know, earlier on, I talked about the toolbox for pain. We have a toolbox. We can think about a toolbox analogy as well in terms of psychological well-being and stress management. And for many of us, there's not many tools in that toolbox. You know, when we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling lonely, when we're feeling bored, when we're feeling these really strong, difficult emotions, we want to push them away. And it's only natural that we want to push them away and we want to soothe ourselves. And if really the only things we have in our toolbox is eating, As a way to self soothe, we're going to go to do that. It's only natural. We want to self soothe. And if eating or drinking are our main ways of soothing, we revert back to that again and again and again. So I suppose, in answer to your question, I think all of us engaged in emotional eating and really we could trace it way 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 back to childhood and to early early childhood and I if if I had you for example in front of me and we were going through your history and I was asked about your eating and when can you remember being soothed by food we would be going way back probably to toddlerhood yeah I so you know
0: like, you know yourself Nicola like, even using words like whenever we were growing up you got a treat on a Saturday night even the word treat you know I remember when we were young myself my sister mommy got us a treat after you know on a Saturday night we used to watch the A team and it was you know you can how about you can still remember that that was your treat and you might have got a treat midweek and even the word treat you know so you're treating yourself with food it's a chocolate it's a self-reward and you know that even the 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 the, the The verbal language you use around food. Um, And, you know, so many people say you shouldn't call it traits, you shouldn't call it traits. You know, is verbal language important around as as your language you use in connection with food important? I
1: think it really is. I was working with a girl yesterday and she talked about, I know I was bad. I had a pack of minstrels. Yeah. No, so, and, you know, that brings me to a point, just as you were talking, that you know there's nothing wrong with chocolate there's uh-huh. nothing wrong with crisps there's uh-huh. nothing wrong with your glass of wine absolutely uh-huh. but it's when we become reliant on it as our main way of self soothing that's when the problems begin so i think it is a lot and the language can be really really t- t- telling so i can yeah. see the tar, i had a terrible day yesterday yeah
0: so heard all the bad food that i had and <laughs> you know you think so. Yeah, you hear, you think somebody, oh, I was really bad yesterday, you know, yeah. you a bar of chocolate. You think they killed somebody? Yeah, it's yeah, really who did murder yesterday, yeah. Oh, bar yeah. Ch- you know, and it, it is, it's, um, yeah, I, I often hear that in sort of negative language of people, and it's, you know, to try and change that and make people understand that it's not bad, you know, it's, it's only food, it's only a bar of chocolate, it's only a glass of wine, but, you know, we almost then validate Or um, that behaviour of being bad eating a bar of chocolate as well, sure, I'm as well, you know, throw the baby out of the bathwater now. I sure have rained it, you know, I'm as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb and then the cycle of overeating and guilt. And this emotion, guilt as well, Nicola. You know, a lot of a, a lot of clients, and I know myself. Sometimes you and You think, oh, Jesus, shouldn't I shouldn't have that. And you know, you're greedy. Why did you do that? And you re-wound yourself, mm-hmm. you're so. You know, you you're meant to be good. You told yourself you're going to be good, and you re-wound yourself mentally. Which then sometimes you think, oh, sure, I'm as well eat, and then you start to self-soothe again by eating again. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know I would have been a huge emotional eater years ago, but over the years you sort of understand the mechanisms of play and what you're doing but mm-hmm. for a lot of people they don't and they can't fix it they can't help themselves and um you know when it does get to the point where it's affecting your physical well-being and your obesity is affecting your health and you know as we said earlier there even now um the obesity epidemic is just it's ferocious Nicola it's ferocious and I worry about children um but even now with the risk of COVID mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. It's it's unbelievable, and it's that emotional side, that emotional connection to food. But do you think the fact that we live in even the country we live in, you know, we're coming into at you the know, this getting dark night, half four, we're sitting in darkness, you know, a, a fair chunk of the year we're not outdoors, we don't have an outdoor sort of lifestyle, as say opposed to living in Australia um, or the west coast of, of, of the states. Does that facilitate and, and does that, you know, does that support emotional And Is there, you know, is there any studies around that or?
1: I, I I think I think that it does. And I think and I think if we come back to why do people emotionally eat? Mm-hmm. Often it's it's an attempt to deal with psychological problems and they may not be mental health problems. So maybe not, you know, diagnosable depression or anxiety, but it's it's like um, psychological distress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or mental health problems. And you know, you're right. You know, here, here, you know, it's dark when I go to work, it's dark when I come home from work. and um, we're not getting out in sunlight. We know that being outside in sunlight is really mm-hmm. really good for our mental health, and um, especially sunlight before noon is really, really good for our mental health. So we're not maybe getting that, maybe we're at work, we're not getting outside, we've got no light. So all of these factors do contribute um to to, I suppose, psychological distress. And then coming back to the toolbox, if we have nothing really in that toolbox to soothe our psychological distress other than emotionally, we're going to be drawn to that. And just mm-hmm. coming back to something you said there a moment ago about the language and about, you know, kind of bad and good. And I think that it is really important to emphasize that, that, that we need to begin to shift our perception of food from being bad food or good food because that psychologists call that dichotomous thinking, you know, all or nothing thinking. So it's either bad or it's good. And you know, the difficulty with that is, as you said, if you have been bad, that often leads to, by eating bad foods, it leads to um guilt. But what I often see a lot, and particularly now when I'm doing it with the work, the group work with, with, with your clients, um, Tara, is shame, shame's huge. Tara- and shame is the most destructive
0: emotion it's awful awful emotion the stories that I hear you know I you know I have clients who don't eat you know their husbands would say to them well I don't know how you're overweight because you eat what I eat and I never say eating but what they don't know is that when that man goes to bed that she might have two packs of biscuits, or she might have stopped on the way home from work and called into the hot food counter, or called into the garage shop and had a few bars of chocolate and shoved them in to, before she got into the house because she's so ashamed of sitting and eating. What I also find as well, what I'm hearing quite a lot is that a lot of mothers don't sit and eat with their kids as a family. They mm-hmm. have separate meals because they're constantly on a diet. Mm-hmm. You know, which actually sends fear through me because. Um, and again, this is something I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but that relationship, you know, the mother's relationship with food and the children's relationship with food, you see there's a parallel between, you know, overweight women, you know, tend to maybe have had an overweight mother, maybe have overweight siblings It's in their childhood. They don't understand normal behaviours around food, They maybe overfed as a child, mm-hmm. then they spend their whole life dieting and then they're passing on those behaviours to their own children, mm-hmm. clearly not intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's a monkey do monkey see monkey do situation um that whole childhood thing Nicola where you know because you have two types of clients you have a client where they just have been overfed as a child they don't understand portion control um and normal um portion sizes and then you have somebody who's maybe had a trauma somewhere in their life Mm -hmm. or somewhere along the line that has has um triggered Mm -hmm. a period of overeating as a compensation or a comfort Mm -hmm. going back to the childhood thing um You know, what does somebody like that do who has been overfed as a child and doesn't understand and has always used or the mother has rewarded them with food and overfed them and that love, that association with love, you know, because, you know, as parents, I know as a mum, there's nothing more I love than getting my family around the table, cooking a lovely big dinner and feeding them. Mm -hmm. you know What, how how do you unravel that or how do you fix that? How, you know, as a psychologist, you know, how do you change that? I think I think
1: one of one of the things one of the things in terms of diet that can be really effect, um, effective, and when I say diet, I mean in terms of maintaining a healthy diet, is first of all to track what you're eating, mm-hmm. and that doesn't have to be lifelong tracking. But even even for somebody maybe listening to this who's never done it, take three days and track everything that you eat and everything that you drink. And when I say that to people, I can see they recoil with a look of horror because I think, thinking, no way do I want to admit. And that can be really, really hard and yeah. can bring up really intense feelings of shame for yeah. people as well to track. But to track what you have been eating, but also track how how hungry you were before you ate So think about not hunger thermometer. So if we have one um at the bottom and 10 at the top, so 10 is your stuff for, like 10 is after Christmas dinner, well, there's just no room where your yeah. stuff and one is where you would eat the leg of the table you're starving yeah and um, track your hunger before you eat also track your emotions and um, I do a lot of work with emotions with people even I'm even thinking of a girl I work with this morning and it can be very hard to 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 kind of uncover what your emotions are and people find it very hard to tune into their emotions sometimes because they're used to suppressing their emotions so just begin to tune in to how do I feel do I feel sad today do I feel lonely? Am I angry? Am I raging? Am I disappointed? Am I really stressed today? So, so, so beginning to get an insight into what is going on with you. Are you eating when you're not hungry? Are you eating when you're stressed? Are you eating when you're feeling sad? And then, and then tracking what you eat and then also tracking how you feel afterwards. Do you know, how mm-hmm. do you feel after this? Do you feel ashamed? Do you feel guilty? How, um You know what's going on for you emotionally and then begin to think about where you're eating as well so track the situation in which you're eating so are you sitting at a table eating with your family are you eating in the car are you eating after your husband has gone to bed are you eating in the bedroom do you know where 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 are you eating and that way in order to change behavior you have to understand it and a psychologist's job is all about behavioural change and we can all change, all, always change aspects of our life and it is possible to change. But in order to change your behaviour, you first need to understand it a little bit. And in order to understand it, you have to put the spotlight on it a wee bit. And that can be really scary, really, really frightening for people to put the spotlight on their behaviour. So, so thinking about what are you eating? How are you feeling? How hungry are you? Where are you eating? Where are you drinking it? And how you're feeling afterwards, and even to do that for three days, you will be able to pick up some insights then and get a handle on what's going on, and then potentially what you you could do to 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 work with that and to make some changes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's funny you're saying there, you know. I often say that, you know, weight gain is never, it's never really a nutrition issue. People think it's maybe what they're eating or maybe, you know, but it's actually very behavior driven. A lot of it's behavior driven, it's behaviors that drive the overeating and people think maybe it's the quality of the food. And it's funny because I had a client recently and, you know, extremely obese. Uh, and uh, I think this lady was, she was over 24 stone. And all I got her to do was to photograph her food. I wonder mm-hmm. just to photograph what she put into her mouth. Don't even write it down, just photograph what it was. And she says, after one day of photographing her food, she says she just was shocked to mm-hmm. see how much food she was putting in. We didn't actually track it. It was even at that stage a step too far, you know. Um, it was just awareness, you know, mm-hmm. the awareness at that stage, at that very, very early stages. And, you know, the connection for from intuitive are you hungry why are you eating this the feelings and the emotions and never once did she eat when she was hungry and in fact she's traced it back she says she reckoned she hasn't been hungry in two decades mm-hmm. and you know acknowledging that in itself mm-hmm. it was a landmark that's, moment. Brilliant. that's brilliant
1: and you know again that is a really good um option is if you know, we've all got phones, we've all got yeah, cameras with us yeah. all the time, you yes. know, so we, we years ago when we were watching the 18, we didn't have cameras photographs <laughs> a year, <laughs> now we have a camera on top and, you know, again, that might be an easier option, a quicker option and a less threatening option Um, and to do that because I think it I think it is all about insight and getting getting insight and if you come to see me individually that's what we do we begin to get insight into what what's what's happening in your life what's driving this what's driving these behaviors um and that's your first step um in in beginning to make some changes
0: Big, a big one nicola um I, I want to to understand and when you're when i'm coaching clients you only want the very best ones so as a nutritionist i can coach them understanding good solid nutrition foundations and, and principles in their life you know good quality foods how to stay healthy how to you know exercise uh, and get that balance in their life now you have somebody who does incredibly well and you're hoping against all hope that they understand. So a, for me, a maintenance is a huge part of their coaching journey with me, understanding how to eat normally, how to understand, because most people are either on a diet mm-hmm. or they're overeating. There's no in between. There's no middle area where they just exist and eat when they're hungry. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you overeat, sometimes you are hungry. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But you have clients who eventually seem to get the hang of it. They've got it. They've got it. And you know, you see them maybe four or five years later and they've all the weight back on plus more. Despite the fact they understand the behaviors, they have all the knowledge in terms of nutrition. They've all the knowledge in terms of what they have to do to lose fat, how to maintain it. But yet there's still this something that pulls everybody back to this weight gain. You know, they go back to where they started. Now, is, there, is there, as I'm sure there's psychology is a huge part to play in this, Nicola. What's going on there? And somebody's head when these people lose the weight they work super hard they're determined you know that they're going to keep it off but gradually over a period of time despite their good intentions they start regaining the weight mm-hmm. what what can what's happening there i i think there's a whole lot
1: of things that potentially is happening and um and i suppose um you know everybody's on an individual journey and for some people it's certain things that have happened that contribute to that weight gain other people it's a different factors but a couple of things i want to say is about you know motivation mm-hmm. and what motivates you to make changes so you know anybody coming to see you anyone listens to this podcast why did you press play on you know why did you press play why are you not listening to the radio why are you not listening to um to some tunes, some Spotify tunes. Why are you listening to this? Okay. So, what is your motivation for listening to this? And for some people, their motivations are extrinsic to themselves, so outside of themselves. So they've a wedding coming up, and um, you know, family wedding, and they really want to lose weight, or there's an event coming up. Um, and that motivation um works and it works for them for why, but what happens when the wedding's over? Yeah. And what we know is that when people are intrinsically motivated, when that motivation comes from inside them and they really unpick the reasons why um, they want to make changes and they're aligned with their values, Mm -hmm. the things that are really important in them, they're the people that are going to more likely keep the weight off. They're the people who are going to be maintained. So tuning into what's important to you. So why, why are you pressing play on this? Is it because, you know, you have a wedding coming up now next summer and you need to fit in? You want to go down two dress sizes for it and you want to look good in it? Or is it because you are your family is really important to you and that you want to be there for your children and then for your grandchildren? Is it that you value your health? Is it that health's really important to you? And the last time you were with the doctor, they they said that, you know, it would be really good if you could lose some weight so what is it why are you doing this tuning into your values tuning into what is important and that will help motivate you through the difficult times through the ups and downs of weight loss and through the ups and downs of weight maintenance yeah which is probably harder than weight loss I I, I,
0: it, I it, it, it is it is it's, it's easier. I think it's easier to maintain your weight clearly than to be on that journey of restriction because you do still get to eat it a little bit more. But I know I've tr- I have turn clients away whenever I see, you know, a, a wedding, a 50th wedding party or a 50th birthday party, uh, a son's wedding. You know, I tend not to take clients on because for me, when I'm offering my skills as a coach, I, I want their reason to be solid. I want it to be for them as you say, it has to be an intrinsic, because number one, you know their compliance and their adherence will be better, but you also know their long-term success, and the fact that it's aligned with true values, as you said, Nicola, you know, a lot of my clients would be, well, I, you know, I, I can't go out and swim with my children anymore, I can't play with them, I can't take them out, I'm too embarrassed to go out, you know, I want to grow old, I want to see my grandchildren, you know, I want to feel good in my skin. I want to get up every morning. and feel good. That, to me, is more important than, as you say, you know, the the holiday abroad, the big birthday party, um, because they're in it for the right reasons. Another, and especially reluctant lockdown has just been insane, the amount of women, you know, who are afraid to get, you know, get really ill from COVID. They know now that obesity is a risk factor. Mm-hmm. And that's been a real trigger for a lot of people, which has been fantastic. But... You know, your why, and I know we, I talk with Kelly Faye, considering does work as well, and the why is a big one. And you and I have had this conversations about this before on, on, on um, AGTVs, where we had talked about your why and the importance of it, because I think a lot of people don't even know what their why is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And sometimes you have to dig deep to do a why. You really do. You know, you know, I I love to do, I'd actually love
1: to do, like, um you know, a course on that, you know, a course, face-to-face yeah. course, whenever... You know, we're allowed to get close in rooms and things and really digging into the why because sometimes you have to really, really dig deep. And a lot of us don't have time or inclination to spend to sit down and really think about our values and think about what is important to us. But that can be really, really important in determining, in, in determining an outcome. And I suppose another thing I'm thinking about is trauma. You mentioned psychological trauma. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And that's something that I encounter a whole lot in my work. Um, And no psychological trauma um, is whenever we feel or somebody or or we witness somebody um, under serious threat of whatever nature. And a lot of people who are overweight have a history of psychological trauma. And if that hasn't been dealt with, you can temporarily patch it up and you can go through a program, say with yourself and do really well with weight loss. But if that trauma hasn't been dealt with often then it's just like the plaster comes off and you revert back to overweight always totally. so I think psychological trauma I think if we were to look at clients who maybe are obese or morbidly obese a lot of people have trauma in the background and to be honest we all have trauma in our background yeah. it might be big T trauma so we may never felt under threat of our lives or experienced any significant abuse but we've all been through traumatic experiences and that can really influence then kind of how we cope and how we manage in life and often people who are um, overweight or very overweight often it's because they've had a history of trauma that hasn't been dealt with yeah Um, and and sometimes it can be worth you know even speaking to your gp about maybe getting a referral and potentially to a trauma service or to nexus that deal with sexual trauma or whatever because sometimes that work can really free people up then to make to make
0: changes to their lives that lead to better outcomes for them in terms of their health. So I think that's important to say as well. Um, And and would you say, Nicola, and and maybe the the trauma's relative, it's relative to the person who've experienced it, as you said, maybe a big T trauma. You know, I have a client who was bullied uh, as a child in in school, and you would say, well, that's that's not a trauma. Nobody died. But to her, that was a trauma that triggered a period of real, you know, Real, real issues around overeating, coping, stress, anxiety, and has was really like a turning point in her life that, you know, she then became overweight as a result of that through overeating. And she's a woman now in her 40s, and like that trauma was never dealt with. And it's, you know, as I would say, the diet. Going on a diet is like a stick and plaster holding back a dam. You've got to go and you've got to build out the foundations and, and figure out and take the wires apart and see what's going on and why this overeating's happening. Fix that first. The diet's not going to solve it. Absolutely.
1: And, you know, I would regard that bullying as a trauma. I would yeah. regard that as a trauma. So if I'm inclined, yes, that is a trauma. Yeah. Um, even things like being humiliated by a teacher in school yeah. in front of the class that yeah. can be traumatic. So it doesn't have to be these life changing losing limb type yeah. things. It doesn't have to be that. That is trauma, you know. Yeah. That bullying, that constant bullying, is. And you know, if that lady were in front of me, I would imagine that's a really big factor in her row free. And she didn't.
0: So, she didn't, yeah, she didn't yeah, acknowledge. I think, it. I think that's important. She didn't acknowledge that as trauma. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until she told me. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. well, here, that, that is that is trauma. Yeah. And she didn't acknowledge it as trauma because she didn't think it was traumatic enough, if you know what I mean. It wasn't, yeah. you know, yeah. it wasn't a life or death situation. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, so many people, when you do go back in their in their life and you realize, well, that was trauma. You know, a parent got sick, you know, something happened at school, you know, in their mind, they, they almost they minimize that experience because in their eyes, it's not trauma. But it was trauma. Um, and I think there's so many people don't understand that. And, and even emotional just always say, you know, de- please deal with the emotions because the diet ain't gonna fix it. Um, but I think people are more are more open now, Nicola, to um to getting help with their eating behaviors. You know, there is more help out there. I have a lot of mummies come to me about their kids, really worried about their kids um, and, and their overeating. Um and, and unfortunately now even national health service the resources are, are limited um and again it's not my area of expertise and it's well outside my professional remit so i always refer people either to you or to someone else usually the to the gp first as the first protocol to get help but um it's it's a huge issue and as i say most of the time for my clients um who has a, a repeated history of diet and regain, diet and regain and, and living their life on the diet or off the diet. It's no way they live. Um, it's mm. it's fixing the behaviors, it's fixing the emotions, it's understanding where it all comes from. It's pretty much taking a wee journey back mm-hmm. and um and really understanding. But again, it's about being compassionate with yourself mm-hmm. as well, Nicola. And I know when you're talking um to to my clients, a lot of them come afterwards, would text me afterwards, saying, oh my God, you know, it actually really affects them at a deep level because the light bulb comes on and they then realize okay i'm not broken mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. why i've been overeating for maybe two decades mm-hmm. or this is why since that happened my weight's gone up you know mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the fact that um i'm not exercising anymore or it's nothing to do with my age it's the behaviors that i have started mm-hmm. since this thing happened mm-hmm. and um it really is unbelievable and the chapter in your book nicola does it touch on it much yeah so I have a chapter so so in my book um I kind of really
1: looked at pain holistically and one of the chapters looks at eating well um, mm. um and and so I've we have the chapters some really really basic basic stuff around healthy eating, and I'm not a nutritionist, not a dietitian, so just basic information that's out there, but still needs to be said because often people who who um, have pain or maybe too sore to maybe they tend to rely on convenience, so uh, food is very sore, they're too sore maybe to cook a meal. Um, fatigue is a big issue, so I look, work with a lot of patients with fibromyalgia, um, and fibromyalgia is a condition that. Um, that people experience all over widespread pain but also fatigue is a big issue so that can be a big issue as well so there's that there's that there's that aspect of the chapter and then i the second part of it then i look at emotional um and and kind of explore some of these issues so it's just a small bit in the book um but but i think it's something that's worth talking about because again with the patients that I, um meet in my nhs pain practice um a lot of them Um, A a lot of the work we do is around setting goals. And a lot of them, particularly women, set goals around um, weight loss. Yes. um, And healthy eating and improving diet. Because your diet has, we know that diet impacts on physical health. Like, you know, I'd say a primary school child knows that. But what we fail to appreciate is that our diet really impacts on our mental health as well. And then also that our mental health and our physical health are very much tied, very, very much tied. So when our mental health is poor, our immune system is poor. Um, and then we're going to get more physical health problems and so they're, they're not separate they're they're very much linked and we fail sometimes to recognize that so it all ties in so our physical and our emotional well-being are so tied together yeah. um, and then just in terms of compassion I, I, I think that's a point worth picking up because it's something I'm very passionate about is compassion and what I see a lot in people who are overweight and when I do those groups with you uh, Tara is the lack the absolute lack of compassion um, among your clients, self-compassion lovely people to other people yes. but you know, things to say to himself you greedy bitch, fat bitch look at the stadium, yes. look at the stadium your yeah. belly look at the arse on you, the stadium and that or whatever and you know, if if I spoke to you like that, you wouldn't belong shutting off the Zoom meeting, you know, look at the stadium Tara, you know, you're you, you're greedy, you're fat, or whatever. But yet, these women and these men speak to themselves like that. You know, um really harsh, critical voice. Really internalized, harsh, critical voice. And what we need to do sometimes is learn to work with that, and learn to be a bit more compassionate to ourselves, and learn to take a step back and think: if this was my best friend, mm-hmm. would I call her a fat, ugly bitch? Well, then why am I doing that to myself?
0: Uh-huh. It's it's funny you say that. I was speaking to a client this morning, and. You know, she's a new mom, and you know she's she's she's, 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 just. I thought you were going to be a real bitch, Tara. I thought you were going to say, get out, get out and run, get out and exercise. There's nothing I'm missing. Absolutely not. You're a new mum. You're not half slept. Your hormones are up the left. Be a bit compassionate with yourself. You know, I've been there. I understand. There's nobody cracks a whip more than me when I think there's a wee bit of, you know, when the victim mentality kicks in and people start giving me excuses. But you have to understand, you know, you have to look after yourself. You have to be kind to yourself. Another client said to me the other day, she's nearly crying on the phone, stop, Tara. I can't. And get out for me. Walk. She's my thoughts like a balloon, and sure enough, she sent me a photo. It was like a balloon. I said, "Well, what are you doing out walking?" She says, oh, "I thought you would come out." I says, "Would you help yourself on and go into the house, sit down, elevate your leg, and take care of yourself, look after yourself?" He says, "Yes." There's time. There's times when you know that you can be a wee bit harsh on yourself, but now it's not the time. Now it's not the time, and you know, while yes, she as a coach, I, I I can see the BS a mile away you know understand that we all have issues at home we have kids we have other traumas where everybody's fighting a battle behind closed door that nobody knows about and you have to be compassionate with yourself but when you're starting to use food as your weapon of choice to self soothe, or even as in most cases self-harm and as I said to you Nicola you know many times I do believe that women use food as a as a as a weapon of self-harm you know because food socially you have to eat so it's okay to sit and overeat. you know it's different if you're over if you're you know abusing alcohol you're abusing drugs you know but it's socially acceptable to eat you have to eat to survive um but you know when it gets to the point where it's starting to compromise your health and that that becomes an issue but you know yeah I I hear you on the self-talk you know because I'm I'm the biggest I'm so guilty of that like I would there's days I would be feeling sorry for myself and I would look in the mind go get your fat ass out that road and shut your mouth and stop yapping stop you up and you wouldn't take that excuse from your clients so why are you doing it yourself get out get out but yeah the the language and um you know as you say if you could if you could hear the words somebody speaks to themselves you wouldn't want to be hearing mine with a few bleeps and um asterisks in there and uh exclamation marks nicola. <laughs> but um but yeah it is but look nicola I, I i could keep you all day i could talk to you all day um I know you're coming on to do a session with my one-to-one online clients now next week, but thank you so much. And just let everybody know where they can access um, your resource and access your information in regards to your social media content. You're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Are you on anything else, Nicholas? So what's Um, your your Instagram handle? So it's the underscore psychology underscore coach. So
1: this psychology coach, um, both on Instagram and on Facebook, um, and at the moment I'm just posting um, I suppose motivational um, quotes usually just once a week and then a little bit of background um, a little bit of background about them you know about the psychology of them underneath um, and if I get more time I'd hope to kind of um, improve that aspect in the social, uh, social media aspect but just with work and things at the moment um, and yeah and and that's why you can access
0: me yep um, nicole thank you so much you've been you've been so you've been i know a personal personal you've helped me so much you helped me you know get back get back at it and and <laughs> get my sanity back after my accident but i know you're helping my clients so much and i know everybody listening to this will most certainly pull things from that even if it's just a sentence or a word there's always something i think that you say resonates with people so um no thank you so much and Have a great weekend and all the best. You too, Tara. Thanks for having me. Thank Thank you.